0: We are returning back to uh, Titus today. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1, continuing to look at the qualifications for elders. And uh, so if you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 7, 8, and 9. But let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, uh, we just thank you for just this moment to do what uh, your people have always done, which is come together, uh, confessing these glorious truths that we know to be true, these gospel promises, and, and, and Lord, we um, confess today that as we ponder those, our, our just heart instinct, our, our, our hair-trigger response is just to sing praises to you. We confess this is the good news. This is the good stuff. Uh, but Lord, we also know that we need to be reminded of truth. We need to learn new truth and we need to be drawn back to what we know to be true. And so we need to hear from you today. And so, Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the word of God, because we know this is the primary way you communicate to us. It's not through cloud formations or urges that we feel on the inside. It's through your word. We have this glorious standard that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. And so, Lord, to that end, we just ask that your spirit would come and fill this room in these next moments together, that you would give us eyes to see and to understand your word, but, but also that, w- that we would see how we're to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, convict us of sin where we need conviction, but also encourage us where we need encouragement. But Lord, in the end, I pray that everything that is said and sung would bring you glory and pleasure today. So I pray that I would hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen well, a, a number of years ago, I, I got invited to a lunch with a with a famous pastor and, and famous author who was passing through town and, and I was excited to meet him. I, I have really loved his books and some of his teaching and, and I uh, got to the restaurant a little bit early. I brought my laptop and I was just doing a, a little bit of work, but kind of to, to my delight, um, uh, he showed up early too and so I was just excited just to get some one on one time with this guy and Uh, I shared just the the impact a couple of his books had had on me and and how that were helpful for me as a pastor, even with Redeemer Church, kind of thinking through uh, the vision of our church and what we wanted uh, to be about. But in the end, I I was really disappointed by my interactions with him. He wasn't a very gracious person. He wasn't a very kind person. And and to be frank, I I kind of found him pretty off-putting. And looking back, Listen. Everyone has a bad day, okay? Like the guy's not Jesus. He's not going to bat a thousand. You know, n- no one is perfect. But, but we had just met, and he had made some really critical mar- remarks about people um, that I I think the reason maybe why it hit me is because I just kind of disagreed with him, and, and he had some really I think harsh, ungracious opinions about some things that again I I just personally disagreed with. But and so I, I felt really uncomfortable. He was an older man than me, and so I was trying to be respectful. I wasn't sure how to respond, but but a couple years later, he was removed from his leadership position for domineering leadership. He'd been really heavy-handed to the people around him. And and listen, this guy is gifted. He's smart. uh, He's I think he his insights are profound. But, but he was taking a lot of, like, leadership from the world and applying it to this Christian ministry, and it, and it really went bad for him. And, and so, for me, he has kind of become this symbol of, of maybe how not to do it. Now, again, nobody's perfect, okay? But, but my interactions with him uh, highlighted that, listen, I, I don't want to lean on the world's principles for leadership and, and how we do leadership in the church. And, and here's what I mean by that. At the end of the day, leaders in the church should be gifted people, but more than that is is their character. Their character is always more important than their giftedness, and I think that's what I want you to take away from this passage in Titus chapter 1 today, that the qualifications of elders are really more about their character and less about their giftedness. Uh, Today we're continuing our study of the book of Titus. And this is our our third of nine weeks in this study. And as we've said over the previous couple of weeks, we said this book is all about being devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. And and those things relate to each other. Good doctrine should lead to good deeds. And the first week we looked at that kind of opening introduction, verses 1 to 4. And we really highlighted that Paul talked about being an apostle. So he had this apostolic ministry. He was a messenger with a message, but his message wasn't his message. It was different than maybe like a professor who you know, is coming up maybe with new information to deal with new problems. This is categorically different if you're an apostle. His message, this the, the content of his message was not his own. It was given to him by God. And, and specifically, the message that he was to be giving, his ministry, was to be all about, if you look at verse 1, the knowledge of truth. So he was to increase the knowledge of truth in God's people. So, so he was talking to God's people, born-again people, and saying, listen, we, I have a ministry to increase your truth. You need to know more. But that's not really the end. Head knowledge is not the end. The end was also in verse 1, uh, which accords to godliness. So he saw that, that teaching matters. There needs to be teachers who give God's people more knowledge, but that's not the end. The end is for them to be devoted to godliness. So they should have good doctrine, but it should lead to good deeds. Last week we, we pushed into uh, verse 5, and there begins to be this shift to talking about elders. So the first topic or the first group of people that that Paul starts talking about in this letter is he moves from this message of good doctrine leading to good deeds to then talking about elders. And that's significant because the elders are the ones who are supposed to be giving that good doctrine. And, And last week we looked at this link between this great commission of making disciples who are then made disciples by being taught how to obey all of Christ's teachings. And then we saw this link between the Great Commission to then organizing into churches. He says in verse 5, to put what remained into order. So the end of evangelism is not just two guys grabbing coffee talking about Jesus. The end of evangelism is establishing this institution of the church, So that hundreds of of guys can be one-on-one talking with each other over coffee. He was to take these converts and plant churches with him. But the first step, the first movement, the first step in planting those churches was establishing elder teams. So we need pastors and elders to teach us the knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness. But of course the question becomes who is qualified to do that. That's why this passage is, is so important today. Who's qualified to, to, to do that? Who should we nominate to be elders? Now, we, we need to know who should be teaching. And, and that's at some sense, this whole sermon is to our elders in our church. But, but hear me, this is important also to, to covenant members in the church because we ask you, I think rightly, and I think this is biblical, we ask you to nominate the elders. It, it's not a self-appointing uh, appointing board. You see, if you don't view them as elders and if you don't nominate them, if we don't see those names come through on that list, we don't consider them. You need to be able to, to see these virtues in their lives. And listen, the, the reason why all of this is so important is because we tend to overvalue giftedness and undervalue character when we're looking at elder nominations. And this begins with elders. Elders can do this. Like we can overvalue giftedness and trying to, you know, be, uh, improve our skills in some of these things. And then maybe disregard the character aspects of being an elder. But really, that, that reality, that has more to do with lay people in the church today. And I'm going to put my cards on the table here. I, I think the great weakness of the evangelical church today is that we overvalue giftedness and we undervalue character. So, so we love a guy who looks great on stage That can really bring it on stage. And, and maybe his life is a mess off the stage. Maybe he's not really living it off the stage and that doesn't really matter. We'll still buy his books. We'll still listen to his podcast. We'll still give him that platform. Friends, this passage is important because if you're a lay person in the church today, you have a responsibility to nominate elders and you have a responsibility to not buy certain books and to not listen to certain podcasts. You need to understand that at the end of the day, leadership in the church is more about character and less about giftedness. However, it's, uh, what we're going to see today is, is three admonitions for elders. First, elders are to be blameless before others. Second, elders are to be blameless before God. And then we're going to get to what elders do. Elders are to teach good doctrine and good deeds. So let's start looking at these three verses Elders, this call to be blameless before others. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict him. These three verses are really part two from the, from the previous verses last week. Last week we began talking about elders and, and, what, uh, and what makes them qualified to be an elder. And, and last week I just wanted to highlight the observation that, that he was speaking to men. Men ought to be elders. This is one of these offices in the church that is restricted to men. That's, that's the theological category of complementarianism. And we chased that a little bit last week. But, but this week, I want to highlight just another just quick observation that's important. It, it, it's the plurality principle. And, and I want you to notice that Titus doesn't say appoint one elder in each of the towns. He says appoint a plurality of elders, more than one. And some of our, our Baptist brothers, independent Baptist, fundamentalist Baptist, Southern Baptists, th- they get this point wrong. If you push them, you say, well, why don't you have elders? Well, we do. We just have one guy. It's our, it's our senior pastor. I, I think that misses the point here. The point here is to highlight that there's supposed to be more than one. There's supposed to be a team of guys. Now, now, that's, I think, biblical, and I think that that's clear here. But that's also practical. The plurality uh, principle is wise. You see, brothers are gifted in different ways. And that's the case on our team. They, they bring different experiences, different perspectives, different gifts, and all of that makes the team better. And, and, and further, uh, we've seen that, that uh, when you have a plurality, when you have a team, they get to lean on each other. You see, elders are, are people. They're not Jesus, okay? They, 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 they get burnt out. They, they, they kind of uh, lack patience sometimes. Sometimes they, they step into difficult situations, maybe with difficult people. And, and initially they're very patient and they display a lot of mercy in that situation. Then they hit a wall, and listen, when they get to that point, that's when the team steps in and say, hey, listen, you've carried the ball here, and that's been great. I think we need to, to step in here for a season. So it, it protects the elders from themselves, and it also makes the church healthier when you, when you have a team of guys. And also what, what I've seen over the years is that uh, they all bring different perspectives and gifts, so they listen to each other. And one of my favorite things in ministry and getting to be on that elder team is just watching guys kind of step into different roles, like, they're all different people. We've had great elders over the years, and they're, they're good at different things, and they have a heartbeat for different things, and, and they end up kind of leading out in different ways, and, and that's, that's the way it is supposed to be. But kind of returning back to our text here, the overarching qualification, we see it here now for the second time. So anytime you see repetition in the Bible, it's there for emphasis. So like in verse 6 and verse 7, we see that an elder is to be above reproach. Maybe in your translation it says Blameless. And, and we talked about last week, and I tried to say about 47 times, that that doesn't mean perfection. Someone who is above reproach and blameless, it doesn't mean perfection. There's always going to be faults that you can find with them. But, but really what it means is there's no credible accusation that you can make against them. That as you kind of think about maybe what would disqualify him, you're like, you know, th- there's, there's really nothing credible here that would disqualify him. You see, these are men of integrity. They're supposed to be uh, people who display integrity inside and outside the church. They're respectable. They're wise. They're godly, mature men. But as we started talking about last week really what Paul does here is he kind of puts it into three different categories. They're they're blameless in three areas of their life. And last week we we talked about how they're blameless with their family. And we said, listen, if they're going to be a, a shepherd of souls in the church, we need to see it in the home first. Like that's the testing ground. But today we're going to talk about how they're to be blameless before others and blameless before God. They should be above reproach, but beginning with their families. But today we're going to look at how they relate not just to their family, but how they relate to others and ultimately how they relate to God. And what Paul does here is he gives, he gives five vices for elders to avoid, and then he gives seven virtues for elders to embody. So all elders are to be overseers of God's house. So they're to provide oversight and care of God's church. Therefore, they can't be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy. They're to be stewards over God's people. They're they're, they're to manage the the church and shepherd God's people. Therefore, they have to be hospitable. They have to love what is good. They have to be self-controlled. They have to be upright. They have to be holy. They have to be disciplined. And number seven, they have to hold firm to good doctrine. I want to take these in order. Now, now some lists don't give you seven at the end, but I want to explain why I think that final one is one of the virtues. But first, let's look at the five vices. First. An elder can't be arrogant or self-willed. In other words, like when you're thinking about nominating somebody to be an elder in our church, the first thing you think of them can't be, oh, he's prideful. That disqualifies them. Listen, he needs to be strong in his convictions, but he can't be sinfully stubborn. And related, he, he can't be primarily just out for himself or trying to advance himself. I've been in churches where it's a very esteemed thing to be an elder. And so guys who are just really ambitious and they just want to advance themselves, they they, they pursue that. But really at the end of the day, it's about themselves. Being an elder requires humble servant leadership. But number two, he can't be quick tempered or he can't be a hothead. Listen, they should have righteous indignation like Jesus had. But if you're like me, 95% of my anger is sinful anger. They, they, they can't be, be these guys that are just marked by sinful anger. You see, elders deal with a lot of complex and difficult situations and people. And so they can't just be hair-triggered with their anger on these different issues. Like they have to work together as a team, and they got to be quick to forgive and quick to extend grace. Number three, it says that they can't be a drunkard or addicted to wine. I think this means they can't abuse any sort of substance. Listen, I want to chase a rabbit because I think it's relevant today. I think this includes something like marijuana. Marijuana is illegal in Texas right now. I pray it stays that way. Uh, but no one smokes marijuana for, like, like, the flavor of it, like a good bourbon, Okay. People smoke marijuana for an intentional purpose to, I think, sinfully alter their mind, okay? And so if you have a guy that is, is, is smoking marijuana all the time and that's for the purpose of just altering his mind, then that disqualifies him from being an elder. People tend to abuse alcohol and drugs in order to numb pain. There's some sort of pain in their life and, and their numbing it. But listen, that, that point's important because God brings pain and trials in our lives in, in order to transform us and to conform us into his image, to grow us spiritually. And so when people just numb all that pain, they, they get 10 years down the road and they're, they're functioning in life like they're a teenager, okay? And, and so they, they miss the, the maturing aspect of going through that pain. That's why some of this is so dangerous. Also, Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, if you have a, the guy who's an elder and he's always getting drunk on wine, it's actually a sign that he's not filled with the Spirit. And, and listen, these guys deal with, with difficult things, and we need them healthy. We need, we need them responding to the pain in their life in healthy ways. So they need to display self-control even over their body and what they put into their body. Number four, he must not be violence. He can't be a bully. Ladies, you know this, that, that many men, they kind of get through life just being a bully. Maybe they push people around in business. Maybe even physically they, they threaten people in order to get their way. Listen, that doesn't work in the church. That doesn't work when you're caring for someone's soul. And that also doesn't work when you're working on a team with other people. If you've got to work with other people, you can't just sinfully try to dominate everything. First Peter 5.3 uh, speaks to uh, elders who are dominating uh, over the church. Elders should follow the example of Jesus and wash people's feet. Number five. He must not be greedy or fond of sordid gain. This means, uh, this speaks to the guy who is always kind of trying to cut corners in order to chase some quick, uh, uh, get rich quick scheme. Listen, at the root of that for a lot of guys is laziness. They don't want to put in the hard work of of learning how a business functions or or how to be good at their job and do things the right way. They, They want to cut corners and they want to get rich just overnight. They don't want to put in the work. That's greed and that's laziness. And again, that doesn't work for elders. You need guys uh, who are reputably employed and in dis- in display integrity uh, in, in their finances and, and do the, the hard work of doing that. There's a character issue there that, that comes into play as elders. But this also speaks to, to the issue of tithing. I know earlier in the, the summer we had a sermon on tithing. And what we explained is, is that you know, when you have leaders in the church for an elder or a deacon or a staff member... What we do is we just drop an email to the trustees and our bookkeeper and say, listen, I don't, we don't want to know the details. We don't want to know how much they're giving. We want a yes or no. Do you feel like this person is tithing? And if they say no, we just take them off the list. Because they need to uh, display faithfulness in that difficult area of their life. That's a demonstration that they're mature enough to care for souls. People need shepherds who will steadfastly, sacrificially love the sheep. When you nominate someone to be an elder in our church, these five attributes are things that they cannot possess. And listen, this is important because the role that you play as a covenant member in nominating these people, this really determines the health of our church. But also what Paul does is he gives us then seven virtues that they're to embody. So, so as you think about folks that you want to nominate for this position, they ought to display these seven virtues. The first one is, is hospitality or, or, or openness. Elders should want to just freely invite people into their lives and into their homes. That, that, takes, that means that they, they're, they're generous people. They're, they're authentic people. They're, they're willing to just kind of live open and free. Hospitable people, they, they like people. And they love people. They want to spend time with them. They, they want to share their things with other people. They, they understand that uh, sometimes people need practical help, and they like to help people in practical ways. One of my favorite things at our church is when we do, like, a meal train. Maybe somebody uh, has someone sick in their family or they've just had a baby. And if I give it, like, 12 minutes Before I open that email and get to that meal train, like I get over there and then it's like all full, like all the slots have been taken. Like that's an example of hospitality, of people just wanting to help in practical ways. So elders need to be welcoming, loving, genuine people. Number two, elders should love what is good. They should be devoted to the welfare of others. They should be committed to doing what is right. This is a dirty word I think in our culture today and I'm sad that it is, but elders should be righteous people. They should love what is righteous and good. They should desire what is holy. Their heart's desire is for people's welfare. Elders are called to shepherd God's people. But they do it from this, this deep sense of the good. They want the good to happen. So they step into struggling marriages and they fight for them to be restored. They, they want to see her healed. They, they, they want to help him grow closer to the Lord. they are people that from their heart they want to see God's people Thrive in faithfully doing good deeds. They love what is good. Number three, elders should be self-controlled. They should be sensible, prudent, thoughtful people. S- sensible, self-controlled, and, or disciplined, those are all kind of similar characteristics. But really, the, the Greek term here, it has this idea of, of careful consideration and then responsible actions. So it kind of moves from the inside to the outside. So, so elders should be, uh, be, should be self-controlled in their thought life, the, the way they think about complex situations. And, and, and elders, our elders know this As our church has grown. Sometimes the situations or the problems, are they, they're becoming more complex, so they have to think about it at a more complex level. But it, it doesn't just stay in their mind, the way, they, the way they live, their behaviors, their words, the decisions that they make are also thoughtful and, and prudent and sensible. Sometimes elders have to make decisions, and there's not like a clear Bible verse that dictates what they should do. So that means they've got to rely on, on wisdom and discernment, which takes a lot of self-control and diligence. Fourth, an elder should be upright. He should be just and fair. Th- their elders' lives should reflect a, a faithfulness, not only to God's law, but also to human law. Like they should, they should work towards fairness and justice when they deal with difficult situations. That includes protecting the weak from the abusive. Sometimes, and I've seen elders do this rightly, Sometimes elders have to stand up and say, stop. Say, stop. I've seen an elder stand up one time with a couple and just say, you need to stop right now. It's because he cared about fairness and justice. Fifth, an elder should be holy. He should be devout and righteous. They should display a commitment to godliness and righteous living. In other words, elders should live for the glory of God and for the pleasure of God. When they're faced with this list of qualifications, they should instinctively and humbly and in a holy way, they should evaluate their own lives. So they should come together and confess, listen, I'm speaking too harshly to my family right now. I need Clean words. Will you all hold me accountable to that? They need to come together and confess this. I'm, I'm lingering too long looking at inappropriate images online. Will you all hold me accountable for that? The, the condition of their soul matters to them. That They want to be holy, devout, righteous men. Six, an, an elder should be disciplined. He should be self control He should have control over his, his uh, emotions and his impulses. He should have control over his appetites and his desire. He, he, he should watch, watch his words. He shouldn't just lash out. And every uh, thing that pops in his head, he shouldn't say. There's a funny quote from Spurgeon where a lady was criticizing him for all the jokes he was saying in, in his sermons. And he said, ma'am, you'd really respect me if you knew all the jokes I didn't say. Like There's a reality to that in elders' lives. They, there's a lot that they, they don't say. They're, they're like a, an athlete where they, where they need to train their bodies, where they fight the fight of faith, and they, they take that seriously. They're disciplined. They want to be right with God's people. Seventh, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word. In other words, they should remain committed to good doctrine. Now, some people stop this list at, at, at six with, with uh, discipline. I think this final thing ought to be put on the list as it's what they do, but it's also, it's, it's also a virtue that they're supposed to embody. You see, throughout the history of the church, and we see it today, there, there's always pressures from the world. Maybe they're outside the church or maybe they're inside the church. There's these pressures to abandon good doctrine. And it takes conviction and faithfulness to stand up to that pressure. We see it today. Good elders should love good doctrine. Let me say it this way. Good elders should care less about what the world thinks of them, and they should care more about what God thinks of them. And that is a virtue. That's a, that's a character issue. They should have conviction and courage even to embrace controversial issues that are maybe controversial to the world around them. Do they, in that moment, do they care more about what God thinks of them or about what the world thinks of them? And listen, that, that's a character issue. Covenant members, like we've said, twice a year we ask you to recommend people to the office of elder. And and like I said, if you don't recommend them, we don't consider them. So so it's very important and it's very essential for the health of our church that you understand what an elder is and what an elder isn't and that you make responsible recommendations to us. You you need to know the, the vices that they're supposed to avoid and the virtues that they're supposed to embody. They're supposed to be these men who are marked by above reproach, blameless lives. Elders, this list of five vices to avoid and seven virtues to embody, this is how we're to live blameless life. Th- this is the instruction guide. This is the manual for how we're supposed to do this. This is what it means to be blameless or above reproach. Th- th- this is our instructions. But elders, I want to ask you a question. Do you feel the burden of these qualifications? as we talked about on Wednesday I know that's true you you feel the burden of it and that's good and that's healthy you you should hear the admonition to be uh, blameless before God and there should be a weight to that and in fact there's maybe when you go through this this is the way I feel there's sometimes when I read this I'm like I just want to (laughs) quit I can't live up to this listen I, I want you to feel the weight of Titus 1. You should feel the weight of caring for the souls of your family and being blameless for others. But but I want to do two things in this next point, elders. The first thing I want to do is I, I just want to heap on more burden to you. <laughs> I, I want to I want to raise the bar a little bit for you. But but hang with me because I also want to give you the hope of the gospel. You see, elders are to be blameless not only before others but but blameless before God. Like, like go back. To those lists. Look at the vices arrogance, anger, drunkenness, violence, greed. All of those are sins of the heart, right? All of those things begin on the inside. They're all marks of disordered love on the inside first. They're all evidence that there's something wrong in our relationship with God. You remember Psalm 51? David's talking about this great sin that he had committed. And listen, he had committed uh, a sin against someone. With someone, but ultimately he felt like that his sin was against God. So, as you go down that list, uh, elders, like you have to understand that ultimately this is about a sin against God. So, this is like this check engine light that something is off with with your soul. You have a heart problem. So, when we see uh, these things in our lives, we're to understand that something is off in our soul. But but look at the, the list of virtues hospitality, goodness. Self-control, uprightness, holiness, discipline, a commitment to good doctrine. All of that is evidence of a faithful heart. All of that is are fruits of the Spirit. They're all evidence that you're communing with God, that, that, that you're connected to that life-giving vine, John 15, that, that you're walking with him, that you're abiding in Christ. So, so when you see these things in your life, these virtues in your life, they're evidence that you're living righteously and blamelessly before God. That, that, that's how the bar's raised. It, it, it's not just how you relate to other people. Those are actually just fruit of how you're connected with God. If you're to be an elder, you've got to be right with God in these things. These virtues and vices, they're evidences of if your soul is clean or right or not. They're evidences of are you really communing with God? They demonstrate if if your heart is healthy. But, brothers, I want you to hear the hope of the gospel as we raise that bar. You remember what we affirm, right? You remember Article 10, 2B. We believe that justifying faith, trust in Christ, not only for the gift of imputed righteousness and for the forgiveness of sins, but also for the fulfillment of all his promises to us based on that reconciliation. Justifying faith magnifies the finished work of Christ's atonement by resting securely in all the promises of God obtained and guaranteed by that all-sufficient work. Amen? Isn't that good news? Dear brothers, hear the same good news that, that, that God's people heard as they were about to step into the promised land. He, hear the promise that God told them in Joshua 1.5, I will not leave you or forsake you. Brothers, we just raised that bar really high. But as we raise it, remember that I will not leave you or forsake you is his promise to you. Therefore, the next uh, two verses down in Joshua 1, 7, there's this call, therefore, be strong and courageous. Rest in the good promises of God. Yield to his spirit and elders be blameless before God. That's what elders are supposed to be. But what are they supposed to do? Your third point is elders teach good doctrine and good deeds. Look again at verse 9. He says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Elders teach good doctrine and good deeds. Like I said, some people treat this uh, maybe just as one of the virtues, and, and I think it's one of the virtues, but it also speaks to what elders are supposed to do. In order for pastors and elders to teach good doctrine, they must hold firm to the trustworthy word that was taught. Listen, that's, that's a heart commitment. That's something on the inside for them. Like That's where it begins. Elders should love God's word. They should love sound doctrine, M- meaning that it, it should animate them. That they should cling to it. It should be this foundation of their spiritual life. Not these different books or cloud formations or yoga. It's God's word and sound doctrine. This is the thing that animates them. But but notice that it's as you were taught. They were taught these things. Brothers, you were taught this by other brothers. And now the charge for you is to then go and teach it to other people. You were given instruction. Now you have the ministry to give that instruction to other people. This term means to encourage or to urge or to inform. Brothers, you're to be above reproach, but the thing that you're supposed to do is to teach elders, this is what brothers did for you, and now God is calling you to do it for the next generation. And hear me, they need instruction. They need urging and encouragement from the Word of God. And that Word of God is dependable and trustworthy, and they need you to explain it. They need you to teach them good doctrine. Because there's so many on the inside and outside the church that are not teaching good doctrine. You know it, guys. Y'all are catching bad doctrine everywhere all the time. So, brothers, they need you to teach good doctrine because they're being taught, hey, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They're being taught that, uh, that, they, um, uh, that they should, you know, if they do something wrong, then they've lost their salvation. They're being taught that when they really blow up, God doesn't love them anymore. They're being taught that, that uh, their existence precedes their essence. They're being taught that if it feels good, they should do it. They're being taught that, that if they had this little urge inside of them, that that must be who they are at an identity level, and so they should pursue that. Brothers, they need good teaching. They need it. They need to, to be urged and, and to be instructed and informed on good doctrine. And it also says you're going to have to rebuke bad doctrine. You're going to have to show them why all that is wrong and why the Bible is right. You're going to have to go to them and show why all that stuff is harmful and why the Bible, what it teaches, is helpful. You're going to have to address whatever straw men they're building to believe that stuff, and you're going to have to show them how actually what they're believing is soul-killing, and if they would go down the Bible's path, if they would believe good doctrine, it would be this pathway to joy. You're going to have to call them to turn and to believe what is true. You're also going to have to directly oppose people that they really trust. You're going to have to say, okay, I I understand that you respect them, but that's still bad doctrine. You're going to have to maybe oppose their professor or oppose the president or oppose their parents or their wife or, or those unnamed experts that are in articles that we read. John Calvin wrote that the elder ought to have two voices, one for the gathering of the sheep and the other for the warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. Brothers, you have to protect the sheep. That's what it means to teach good doctrine. You're going to have to teach them sound and good doctrine because that's how they're going to live these godly lives. That's how they're going to carry out good deeds. That's why we do expository preaching at our church. I know it's boring maybe. We just walk through passages of the Bible. Listen, what you don't need is my little hot takes on everything. That's not transformative for you. You need God's word. You need something solid, tried and true over generations and thousands of years. You need universal principles that, have, that, that are proven. You don't need the latest study on something. You need good doctrine. That's what leads to good deeds. Elders are to be men who live above reproach, blameless lives, and then teach God's people good doctrine so that God's people can perform good deeds. Elders, that's what you're to do. And brothers, that's what we're to hold each other accountable to do. And God has called us to a plurality. He's called us to, to a team So we're to encourage each other to that. And we're to to sharpen each other to that. And we we need each other to faithfully shepherd Redeemer Church. May we hold each other accountable to avoid the five vices and to embrace the seven virtues. May we hold each other accountable to protect the flock by teaching the trustworthy word, verse 9. May we help each other be blameless in how we relate to our families and how we relate to others and how we relate to God. But covenant members nominate for character over giftedness our generation of evangelicals has had some impressive leaders who have crashed and burned they've their giftedness outkicked their character don't fall into the trap of idolizing the next great pastor or the next great author for the health of redeemer church <laughs> nominate brothers who live according to that list who are marked by character. Finally, brothers and sisters, uh, pray for your leaders. Like I said last week, this list is a a gift. God's word is a gift. It it tells us the way that we should go. It tells us who we should nominate and who we should. It's a gift, okay? Like we said last week, it's a burden. In our elder meeting this week, we, we talked about that, just the burden of this list. And listen, they they have embraced God's call, and, and I just want to tell you, they are, they are humbly, faithfully fighting to avoid the vices and to embody the virtues of this list. I, I'm watching our guys do it, okay? They're fighting the good fight. These are faithful brothers. God has blessed you with the elders of this church, but they pray for you, and, and, and I would encourage you to pray for them, Every time these guys get together, listen, half of our meeting is a prayer meeting, okay? We, we just pray for you guys, but would you commit to pray for them? Will you also pray for your elders? Um, <laughs> years ago, I, I knew a, a faithful pastor. His name was Bob, and he had faithfully pastored this church for over 30 years. I'm super impressed by that. And listen, he had, he'd faithfully preached the word in, in his life and ministry over, over all those decades. There was no like scandal that had popped up. He had led people to the Lord. He would baptized people. He had discipled leaders. He had married young couples. He he had, he had provided faithful biblical counsel in, in this church where it was situated. It was, it was kind of, kind of on the edge of the rural suburban part of the city. But as, those 30 years went by, the city kind of came out to them. And, and this church went from kind of a very small church to over a 1,000 people attending every week. But behind his back, many in the church called him Boring Bob. Now, for the record, that's not the nickname a pastor wants, okay? They, they called this poor guy Boring Bob. You see, after years, there were these critiques that popped up. They, they critiqued him for Spending too much time in the office studying and not enough time for people. Some people said that he really wasn't that good of a leader. But there was a lot of people that said, you know, yeah, he was faithful to the Word. But, man, his sermons were so boring. And he gets this nickname, Boring Bob. What a terrible pastor nickname, right? Like, no one wants to... No one wants to admit, hey, my sermons are boring or I'm a boring person or my ministries are boring, but, but that's what they call it. Like, like when I'm, you know, helping prepare young leaders to teach and preach, you know, we'll sit down and I give them, you know, my little hot take on and wisdom on, on, you know, how to teach and how to give a good sermon, and I always kind of jokingly end with, don't be boring, and then I say, I'm just joking, and then I say, I'm not joking. Like, be engaging up there, okay? Don't be boring, Boring's not the description that a pastor wants to hear about himself. But in Bob's case, apparently his sermons were pretty boring, and that got, that became his nickname. But here's the thing. According to Titus 1, 7 to 9, I think we need a lot more boring Bobs, don't we? There's nothing romantic about that list, is there? That's pretty boring stuff to be blameless. Listen, we need more boring bobs who maybe never write best-selling books and never become famous preachers, yet they live blameless lives, sacrificially loving their one wife and those kids that the Lord's blessed them with, fighting uh, against sin in their life, loving their church, walking humbly with God. Fellas, that's what God wants for you to be a boring, blameless Bob. He wants you to do that because that's how you're going to find fulfillment. That's how you're going to glorify God in your life. Like, that's how you're going to have an eternal impact. And I would argue that's how you're going to experience joy is living this way. Like, that's how you're going to hear well done, good, and faithful servant. Redeemer Church, God has blessed you with faithful brothers to shepherd your soul. I think you're so gifted in that. I think probably many of you don't realize the gift that God's given you in that. Pray for these guys and pray that they would be blameless. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this list. And, and I thank you for even the ways that maybe it is, that is not romantic. The ways that maybe that it's just boring. But, Lord, I, I pray for our, our elders. I pray for our pastors That this is what would mark their lives just just a blameless boring faithfulness because we know that that's where joy is found and it's important it matters the people in this room matter to you and lord i pray for for uh andy and mike and brian that they would be blameless that they would shepherd faithfully that they would battle the sin in their lives that they would that they would relate faithfully to others, that they would be blameless before you, that you would use them to do the hard work of shepherding souls. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that the people in this church would esteem them and that they would feel that. I know they faithfully pray for the people in this room, but I pray that the people in this room would also pray for them. And I I pray that they would verbalize that to them, even today. I pray that they would know how much we love them. Lord, may, may we be a church that Maybe it's not marked by the biggest, latest, coolest, whatever, but that we would be faithful, beginning with faithful, blameless leaders. It's in Jesus' name we we'll pray. Amen.